that was a series. That was a, a video showed a lot of Billy Graham in there. If that, if you didn't know that, that was the the preacher. That that was Billy Graham, um, who is literal. Who in his lifetime literally reached tens, if not hundreds of thousands, perhaps even millions of people with the gospel. That's intimidating <clears throat> when you think of your one life and you think, well, I don't compare to Billy Graham. God doesn't ask you to compare to anybody. God asks you to bring your life to him and give your life and your talents and your abilities and allow him to use you to reach people with the love and the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of you, uh, well, each and every one of us that is a follower of Jesus Christ can say thank you to somebody, can't we? There is somebody in our life that reached us for the very first time with the message of Jesus Christ. And the reason we're here today in church, uh, if we're watching on Facebook, not able to be here, keep praying for my dad, if you will. Uh, They're watching, hi, mom and dad. I always wanted to do that on TV. Uh, there's a reason why you are following Jesus Christ and there's at least one person in your life that was that trigger, was that person who you can say thank you to as well. It doesn't matter how big you think you're not. It doesn't matter how great of an influence you don't think you have. You have no idea what your gifts, what your abilities, you have no idea what your offering of self to somebody else can do for eternity. You have no idea. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, today in Acts 1-8. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen. Uh, Each one reach one is really the heart of what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. When Jesus died on the cross. The Bible tells us the very moment that he cried out, it is finished, and his spirit left his body. The Bible says something incredible happened. In the temple in Jerusalem, if you study the temple from the Old Testament, there was a veil or a curtain, a very thick curtain, that separated a place called the Holy of Holies with the rest of the temple. And behind, the whole, behind that curtain in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. And behind that curtain was the altar of sacrifice. And the only person that was able to go in to uh, the Holy of Holies was the high priest. And he only did that once a year. And he did it with the blood of a spotless lamb. And he sprinkled it on the altar for the sins of the nation of Israel. And it rolled those sins back until the next time. Until the very time when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says when he died, he paid the price for all sins forever. One sacrifice for sins forever. Well, what happened when Jesus said it is finished and he died on the cross, the Bible says something incredible happened. That curtain or the veil in the temple tore in half. And the Bible doesn't say it tore in half from bottom to top. The Bible says that curtain tore from top to bottom. It was a very thick curtain as well. And the reason that is significant is because that curtain wasn't torn by a human being. That curtain was torn by the Spirit of God. And what the significance of that act was, was that we as human beings no longer have to approach God through a priest. We no longer have to approach God through anybody else. We no longer have to offer sacrifices of animals 
to pay to cover our sins. The Bible says that when Jesus died on the cross, our sins were covered forever. And all we have to do is ask for his forgiveness. It was powerful. It signal, signified that everything between God and humanity had changed. But Jesus' death was more than a symbol. It was the one sacrifice that could reunite humanity with its creator. One sacrifice for sins forever. It also began a new era for followers of the one true God. A new era was, was born. We went from the time of law to the time of grace. Instead of relying on sacrifices and a priest, God was now entrusting his plan for spreading his message of redemption directly to those who choose to believe in his son's death, burial, and resurrection for their eternal salvation. The era of the missionary was born. The era of the missionary was born. A missionary is simply someone who goes on a mission with a message. Each and every one of us are missionaries if we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. You may not go to a foreign land. You may not have to learn a different language, or you may not come from a different land to come and, and uh, learn a new language and reach people for, for the gospel of, of Jesus Christ. How cool is it, by the way, that we have people coming from other areas now into our church, other lands, other areas, and, and they're helping us reach our community and their community as well. But we are all missionaries in that sense because we are on a mission and we have a message. We've made many changes in our church over the last several years. Zach and I have been working together in the ministry here for 16 years. And uh, Cliff and Sue, my parents, uh, who else was here? I don't think there's anybody here else besides that that was here when I first became the pastor. That's how many changes we've made. Um, you would not recognize the church today uh, if you, you would not recognize the church back then if you were to come into it today. Something like that. I'm backwards with it. Just go with it, okay? Seriously. We made a lot of changes here. How about that? We've torn down walls. We've added this. We've added that. We've gone from pews to chairs. We've painted things. We've put up lights. There's been style changes. Our music is different than it was back then. Even the way we dress when we come to church is different than it was back then. Back then, I wore a suit and a tie every Sunday morning. Yeah. Ooh. It's all right. We've done these things to make people feel more comfortable. We've done them to, to kind of keep up with the culture. There's nothing wrong with that. I think it's important to be relevant. But make no mistake, cosmetic and style changes do not win or even lead people to Christ. Cosmetic or style changes do not win or even lead people to Christ. Because we have chairs in the auditorium instead of pews doesn't make us a godlier church. Because we... Because I preach in jeans and whatever shirt I choose to wear, I almost, yes, I'll say it, I almost wore a Rams jersey today, but I chose not to. Maybe next Sunday, we'll see. We'll see. All right? Uh, that doesn't make me a godlier pastor. It doesn't make us cooler. It doesn't make us hipper. It doesn't do anything like that. 
It simply sets the tone for us to be able to share in a more uh, adequate or comfortable or effective setting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Cosmetic and style changes don't win or even lead people to Christ. Only passionate, knowledgeable Christians do that. Only passionate, knowledgeable Christians can lead others to Jesus Christ. There is no substitute for the true purpose of a church, and that true purpose is to reach people with the message of Jesus Christ. That is the purpose of the church. That's what this series, that's what this year is all about. Getting us back to focusing and refocusing and putting the emphasis where it needs to be. Reminding us as a church and as individuals that what we're here for is not to have a social club. What we're here for is not to fulfill a religious duty. What we're here for as a church is to reach people with the love and message of the grace, the saving grace of Jesus Christ. It is our responsibility as individuals to do our dead level best to grow in our faith, to learn as much as we can about the Bible, about Jesus Christ, and to build a relationship with him, to fall in love with him more and more. Listen, we're, we are T-minus like 25 minutes before the fast is over. Look at all the faces smiling. Like, How many of you want to extend it another day? One more day, George, George, yeah. Hey, man, feel free, yeah, yeah, cool, cool, cool. I made pork for the pot, potluck. By the way, if you're a guest here and you didn't know we were having a potluck, we're having a potluck lunch today, stick around, enjoy lunch, it's a good time. I made some pork and some rice and beans, bani and arroz e gandules, right? That's right. We Ricans know how to talk, okay? All right, all right, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to some meat. Looking forward to, to digging into some meat, okay? All right? But listen, I hope that over these two weeks that you have really come together with your Savior and connected with Jesus in a very different way and found a place of refuge in him where he's been able to speak with you and lead you and help you to understand where you fit in in this church. Everybody fits in here. Everybody's welcome. Everybody has a purpose. Everybody has a place of service and ministry at New Life. And I hope that you were able to, to find that or at least get going on the path to find what God has for you. Listen, new paint won't reach people. New lights and chairs won't reach people. New signs won't reach people. Only motivated, prepared people will reach people. If we lose our focus on what is truly important to effective ministry, then we are guaranteed to lose our passion for those who need Jesus. Listen, if you hear me say these words and it's just emptiness in your heart for the lost souls of other people, man, you've lost your passion. I remember as a teenager, I, as I faced, uh, I used to drive to West Hartford to go to high school every day. I went to Hartford Christian Academy, lived here in the brick house, and used to drive that every day. Drove seven Volkswagen Bug. It was my very first car. 1967. Some of you can read that in history books, right? 1967. Um, and I used to pray. I had my, before I picked some guys up on the way, I used to have a time of prayer, and I'd say, God, Give me a burden for people. 
as a teenager, I, I was burdened, I was passionate, I wanted to know how, and I wanted that burden in my heart to reach others with the love of Jesus Christ. I didn't want my life to be wasted. I didn't want my life to not matter for the kingdom. Listen, even now, I don't really care about fame. I don't care about fortune. Money doesn't really make a whole lot of difference to me, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, who knows me? Who likes me? I don't care about those things. What I care about is, does my life make a difference for the kingdom of God? And the way my life will make a, kingdom of, a difference for the kingdom of God is if I have a burden to tell people about Jesus Christ. Whether they think I'm crazy, doesn't matter. Whether they reject him or not, doesn't matter. What matters is that I am doing my best to spread the message of Jesus Christ to this world. In the Bible, we find two vital biblical responsibilities. And there's a lot of responsibilities, a lot of things that, that God talks to us about as Christians, things that we need to do, things that we need to be, ways we need to act. But there are two incredibly important biblical responsibilities that apply to every follower of Jesus, no matter where you live, no matter your gender, no matter your spiritual gifting. Some things in the Bible apply to different people. There are, there are, uh, are responsibilities that are given in the Bible to me as a pastor that are, don't apply to those of you who aren't pastors. There are responsibilities that are given to women that don't apply to men, responsibilities given to men that don't apply to women. But there are two, at, two that I want to focus on that apply to all of us, no matter what. It doesn't matter, as I said, it doesn't matter what your gifting is. It doesn't, doesn't matter what your uh, place in the church is. These all apply to each and every one of us. The first is what we call the great commandment. We find that in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind goes to the very heart of our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Loving God with our heart, soul, and mind. It goes to the very heart of our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If you want to draw closer to Jesus, if you want to be uh, a better follower of his, if you truly want to understand what it means to follow Jesus Christ with your life and to be effective and to have a personal relationship, maybe some of you, uh, you've accepted Christ or maybe you haven't. You're just investigating things and you're not even sure what I'm talking about when I say um, a person, uh, when I talk about having that passionate personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It starts with this loving Jesus Christ with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, making everything you do revolve around his calling and your faith, doing everything you can in a way that you believe will please him, being honest at work with people, being honest with your boss. Do, giving an honest day's work for an honest day's pay, right? Treating your wife or your husband or your significant other with respect and dignity. Treating others with respect. Treating your children with love and compassion and dignity. Not just because that's what you think is right, but that's because what, that's what the Bible tells you to do as a follower of Jesus Christ. Did you know that being a good husband or being a good wife or being a good person to other people, treating them with respect, did you know that's a, that's a responsibility for us as Christians? That's a calling for us as Christians? And it shows that if you do that because you love Jesus and you want to please him, then you're doing it in a way that draws you closer to him and his purpose. The second responsibility is the one we're going to be focusing on today, 
and for most of this year. And it's called the Great Commission. We have the Great Commandment, which is about your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The second one is the Great Commission. If you've been in church for years, if you've been in an evangelical church for any length of time, you've probably heard the phrase, the Great Commission. The Great Commission is, uh, we find it in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. What is the Great Commission? It is simply this, the mandate from Jesus to share the good news about his gift of eternal life. The word gospel in the Greek literally means good news. So when we talk about the gospel, when we use the word gospel, what we're saying is good news. And the good news is that Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins. And that if we accept him as our personal savior and trust that for our eternal salvation, then we will be given eternal life and we will spend eternity in heaven with Jesus Christ. <clears throat> we find the Great Commission, as I said, in our text verses. It goes to the very heart of our purpose as followers of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20 say, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Go therefore... And then it says, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. Remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Acts 1.8 tells us this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And what Jesus was saying there is, you're Jerusalem. They were in Jerusalem. That was their hometown. You'll be my witnesses. And, and if you will follow me, and if you will make my, my mission, my gospel the purpose and mission of your life, you will be my witness in Jerusalem, in your hometown, in Judea, in the surrounding area, in Samaria, the country, the United States, and then to the rest of the world. Did you know that you have the opportunity to be a witness for Jesus Christ to this world? Oh, no, come on, Pastor John. That's for people like Billy Graham. No. Listen, if you're a supporter of this church in any way, did you know that our Facebook feed has reached to 29 different countries? 29. There is someone in the country, check this out. There is someone in the country of Iran that has streamed our service. Iran. We, we uh, are helping a Nepali congregation get on their feet. Their service is broadcast in Nepal, Tibet, and China, as well as other countries. If you support this church, you're helping to support the Nepali congregation. Your reach has gone beyond your Jerusalem, beyond your Judea, beyond your Samaria, and it's gone to the uttermost part of the world. We have started this Brazilian ministry on Sunday nights, Great job. It's, it's a fun place to be. It's a good time to be here. You know that the Brazilian service goes on our, on our Facebook feed as well? And usually 500 or so people watch that. And I, I imagine some of them are probably in Brazil. But many of them are from our surrounding community. You see, you have no idea. Here's the problem for most of us. 
we limit the scope of our outreach because of the scope of our thought. We don't understand that all God wants is you. All God wants is you. All he wants is your life. All he wants is your gifts. All he wants is you to surrender yourself to him and say to him, God, here I am. Use me for your purpose. Whatever it is. Aaron and I were talking and uh, this idea came up about writing, some, writing your experience on a card. I think it's awesome because you have no idea the connections that you make and the difference that they make. And you, have, you may not understand the power of prayer. And when someone, when Antonio walks down the hallway and he sees that board full of names or full of experiences, all he has to do is say, God, would you bless the word that went out? And in the supernatural world, God's power is released and God's power is at work. And people's lives are being changed and challenged. And someday, maybe not in this church, but maybe somewhere that person will come to know Jesus as their Savior. Maybe you'll reach that one person who has a gifting that God will use to be an amazing evangelist for Jesus Christ. When I think of that, um, that video, thank you, the person that pops to my mind all the time is my mom. My mom. My mom is 84. She's taught Sunday school for man, over 50 years. There are countless hundreds and thousands of children that my mother has shared the love of Jesus with. And I can't wait. I can't wait to just sit down in heaven and watch these people come up to my mom. Say, Mrs. Chase... Thank you. Thank you. I was just a little bratty kid, and there are many of them. But you had patience, and you cared. And it made a difference. Over the course of the next several months, we're going to be examining the Great Commission from its primary meaning and purpose to its real-world application and the preparation that each of us needs to be able to do to be effective in doing our part. In this message, this first message, I want to look at four components of the Great Commission that apply to us. It's pretty basic. We're not going to dig down deep into some theological truths. This is going to be basic stuff. And then we're going to go on after this and look at the scope of the Great Commission. We're going to be looking at different examples, especially the examples that Jesus gave us of his one-on-one -on -one conversations with people, with Nicodemus, with Zacchaeus. I mean, just one-on-ones that Jesus had, one-on-ones that other ha others had, Philip with an Ethiopian eunuch who is unnamed in the Bible, Paul and Silas in the Philippian jailer, looking at some of the... the uh, the parables that Jesus taught us, the parable of the sower. We're going to be spending a lot of time looking at the parable of the sower and learning what it means to truly live the life of one who wants to live out the Great Commission. When we look at the Great Commission, the first aspect I want to point out is this. 
The first thing is the Great Commission is personal. The Great Commission is personal. Go. In the old King James, it says, go ye. You, go. You, go. You, go. You, go. Every one of us, go. It's a personal command to each and every one of us. It's personal. It is not given in a macro sense to the church, saying, church, do something. Church, do, do this or that. Church, start these programs. Church, do this. It is personal. It is a micro commandment to each and every believer, each and every follower of Jesus Christ. You go. The great commandment is personal. It's personal because the command is given to you. It's given to me. It's given to each and every follower. Have I mentioned this yet? The Great Commission is personal because it's given to each and every one of us. No one is exempt if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. The Great Commission is given to you. You are responsible to share your faith. Now, what we're going to show over the course of the next several months is the different ways that the Bible teaches us to share our faith. It's not always about standing on the street corner on a soapbox, holding up your Bible and telling people to repent. There are simple little ways of living your life. We've already talked about some of them that can be an influence, that can be an example, that can open the door. It's personal. In John chapter 20, verse 21, Bible says, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, I also send you. You see, when Jesus uh, ascended back into heaven, after he died, after he was buried, after his resurrection, after he appeared to his, uh, to his followers, when he gave the great commission, the Bible says he gave the great commission to us, and then he ascended back into heaven. When Jesus came, he brought light to the world. What did he tell us in Matthew? We are what? We are the light of the world now. If we've accepted Christ as our Savior, we are the light of the world. We are now supposed to shine that light to the world. So as the Father sent Jesus, he says, now I'm sending you. What did the Father send Jesus with? A mission, a purpose. He sent him down here with a mission to redeem all of humanity. Jesus is now sending each and every one of us out with a mission, with a purpose, to tell humanity about the redemption of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 1, verses 43 through 46, we see an example of a man taking it personally. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and told him to follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked him. Listen, some of you, how many of you have friends that think you're crazy for going to church? Family members who think you're crazy for going to church. People in general, <laughs> right? We all do, Right? Now, I won't ask you to raise your hands on this one, but how many of us get defensive about that? It's like, well, you, you want to start a fight, right? You want, you're going to defend yourself with that. 
Here's one quick lesson about sharing your faith and, and living out the Great Commission. Because Nathaniel, Nathaniel, he was probably from the New England portion of Israel. <laughs> because Nathaniel got a little sarcastic with his friend. He said, can any, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? What a wise guy, right? Philip didn't start a fight. Philip didn't get offended. Philip didn't get upset. Philip simply looked at Nathaniel and said this, come and see. Come and see. Come and see. What do you do on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock? I drive by and I see a bunch of cars out there. I've even walked my dog by. I hear, I hear loud music. I, I hear people, you guys are crazy. I, I watch that on, I, I see your advertisements on Facebook. What in the world? You guys, what do you do there? Come and see. You're not one of those wacky born-agains, are you? Yeah, actually I am. Um, but what does that mean? Come and see. Listen, you may not have all the answers. You may not have all the information. You may be learning about your faith. You may be growing. You may not be able to hold yourself, uh, handle yourself in a deep conversation about religion and faith as, as far as the Bible goes with people. There's nothing to be ashamed of there. That just means you have growth that needs to happen. But what you can do is look at people and say, hey, just come and check us out, right? All, you, all they can do is either one, say no, or two, come and check us out and walk out, or three, come and check us out and find Jesus as their Savior, and wow, isn't that cool? Come and see. Come and see. Zach and I used to work at a place called Boston Market, right? Dipping chicken, spitting chicken, selling chicken. And there were these two young people. One's name was Jimmy, and the other's name was Jess. And, and it, we used to have fun. I mean, it was, if you know Zach and I, um, we're not, how should I put this? We're really not very serious most of the time. We like to have fun. We like to uh, joke around, and, and we, we'd have a good time, and Jimmy was the same way, and Jimmy, we had a good time, and poor Jess, you know, was, she she took the brunt of it. She just happened to be a supervisor, so that made it worse. And we talked with them, and we got to know them. And that was like nine years ago, right? About two years, a little over two years ago, coming down the hall of the church one day, Jimmy and Jess Arias, they got married. They want to start coming to church? They came here. Now, Jim and Jess and their twin boys are strong, active members of New Life, vital members of New Life. Listen, we could have gone to work and just complained like everybody else and, and just punched our clock and done our time. And I'm not looking to pat myself and my son on the back. But we chose to go to work for Jesus Christ. And working was simply a way to support my habit of Christianity. And when you start looking at your life that way, that I simply go to work to earn a paycheck so I can pay the bills so that I can live as a Christian, it changes everything. 
Many of you meet people every day that simply need someone, you, to show the love of Christ. And it could change their life. The second thing about the Great Commission, not only is it personal, it's powerful. It's powerful, man. Acts 1.8, Jesus said, you'll receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now, some of you come from a a Pentecostal or Assemblies of God uh, background, and you think that you have to speak in tongues to have the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to get into this whole thing, okay? Um, That's fine. If that's what you were taught, we could sit down and we could chat about that. Uh, There were four instances where the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit being given in the book of Acts uh, at at the moment of salvation. There's nine where it said where salvation happened and people didn't speak in tongues. Paul said very clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, not everybody speaks in tongues. So whether or not you think people have the gift of tongues, that's entirely up to you. It's a a thing you can talk to God about. I'm not going to get into it right now. What I am going to say is this. You do not have to speak in tongues to have the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Just doesn't, it just, it is not scriptural. I don't care what you have been taught in the past. It is not scriptural to say that you have to speak in tongues to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not there. Yes, there are instances. Well, how do you explain Acts chapter 1? How do you explain, I mean, Acts chapter 2? How do you explain Acts chapter 4? How do you explain Acts chapter 10? I explained it this way. The Bible wasn't written at that point. The Holy Spirit hadn't yet been given before Acts chapter 2, okay? There had to be a beginning. And there are special circumstances for situations that God uses, right? That's how I explain it. But there are many more examples of people being used by the Holy Spirit without ever having spoken in tongues. Billy Graham, never spoke in tongues. Rick Warren, pastor of Saddleback Church. If anybody has ever read The uh, uh, Purpose Driven Life, Rick Warren, never spoke in tongues. Okay? So I'm not trying to make an issue of it. I'm trying to help you understand that you do not have to have an experience to receive the Holy Spirit. Well, that's all well and good, and that's your opinion. How about if I show you some Bible on that? Acts chapter 4, verse 31. It says, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. Okay? That is an example of the Holy Spirit being given. Okay? And you say, well, that doesn't make your point. Hang on. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. In him you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. Okay? That is pretty clear. It doesn't say anything about speaking in tongues or the gift of tongues at all. It simply says, when you, re- when you believed on Jesus Christ, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us in several places in the New Testament that we, in, in our, our spirit, literally has a seal on it that is unbreakable by any force. And that seal marks us until the day of redemption, which is the day we get to heaven. That seal is placed on us by the Holy Spirit when we accept Jesus as our personal Savior. So right there we see 
that you don't have to speak in tongues to receive the Holy Spirit. You have been given the Holy Spirit. Not only that, you have been given all of the Spirit you need at the moment of salvation. What you need to do now is grow in your faith. That's what you need to do. You need to grow in your faith. Well, I, you know, that's not the way it was taught. All right, I get it. I get it. But let me ask you this. If you went through school your entire life and were taught that 2 plus 2 is 17, but then you sat down and you took two apples and two other apples and put them together, and you found out that 2 plus 2 is 4, not 17, would you continue to say that 2 plus 2 is 17? Or would you say that 2 plus 2 equals 4? You see, it doesn't matter if you've been taught something all your life. If it's not right, you need to change your thinking. I'm not putting anybody down. I'm not saying people are not sincere. What I'm saying is you can have the Holy Spirit without speaking in tongues. And you do. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you have the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, Paul says, For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And we were all given. We were all given. We were all given one Spirit. What does this have to do? I mean, we, we did get in some theology there. <clears throat> what does this have to do with the Great Commission? You have received power. The Holy Spirit has come upon you. You received the Holy Spirit at the moment of your salvation. You have the power to be a missionary for Jesus Christ. You have the power to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have the power to lead people to the cross of Jesus Christ, where they can then make a decision for or against Jesus Christ. You have the power. The Great Commission is powerful. The third, and then Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. How then can they call on him? in whom they have not believed? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We bring it all together in that one passage. People will not... Listen, folks, hear me here. Hear me, hear me on this word. People will not hear about Jesus Christ unless we tell them. Unless we live him before them, people are not going to hear about Jesus Christ. They're not going to hear that he died for their sins. And why? They're not going to hear that he died for a purpose, that he died for a reason. They're not going to understand the true meaning of his death, burial, and resurrection. Unless we tell them, Paul makes that very clear. Thirdly, and quickly, you know what? Let's pick this up next week. How about that? How about that? I want to get through these last, I want to give these last two uh, points the, the time they deserve. And, jeez, oh, time goes quickly. Listen, folks, we have a calling and we have a mission. We have a purpose. It's not just to do your religious duty. We have a purpose. And that purpose is to reach people with the love and the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Each and every one of us is responsible. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, thank you so much. 
God, for the love that you've given to us. Thank you for the passion that you've given to us. God, thank you for this church and these people. Lord, I pray that each one of us will look at our lives and look at ourselves and examine our relationship with you and realize, God, that it is a personal thing, that you have called us personally to reach people with your message, that it applies to each and every one of us. Father, I pray that we will take this in. Lord, we're about to end our fast. It's been good. Lord, it's been a tough two weeks. I'm not going to lie. I've learned some things. And I pray that others have learned as well. And God, I pray that we will go from this point stronger and more passionate about living our lives for you. Lord, bless us as we go. May we go forward as worshipers, desiring to make a difference in this world for your kingdom. For it's in the precious, holy name of Jesus Christ, we pray and ask all these things. Amen.